Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. You may be seated. Again, I want to welcome you to Easter at Restoration Church, a place where uh, you are immediately part of our family. We're just really glad and excited that you are here with us. This is a, a safe place and a safe church where you can explore your faith and, 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 and uh, as you go on this spiritual journey uh, to pursue Christ and to ask some of those questions. This is a safe place no matter what walk of life uh, you are from or where you're at, or it, it doesn't matter where your uh, past is, but it matters where you're going. We're just super excited that you are here with us today. Uh, again, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bibles today, will you turn to John chapter 20? John chapter 20. We're going to have the verses on the screen as well, but if you have your Bibles or your phones, that's the text that we're going to be looking at today. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. And I titled the message for today, Grave Gifts, Grave Gifts. And so before we kind of jump into the text and to the, to the message and the meat of the, the sermon today, I want to kind of give you some context as to what is going on in our story today. Uh, in verses 1 through 10, here's, here's what happens. Mary uh, goes to the tomb. She, she goes to the tomb uh, very early in the morning. She's the first one at the tomb, and she, has realized, she realizes that the stone has been rolled away, and she realizes that Jesus' body is gone. Like, he's not in the tomb. Like, what is going on? Uh, so Mary rushes over to Peter and John. And she tells them, like, hey, the stone is rolled away. Jesus' body is not there. And so Peter and John rush to the tomb. And the Bible says that um, John got there first. He got there before Peter. So I, I heard, uh, you know, I heard that John ran a 4-4-40. That's what I heard. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I think some of the scriptures say. Uh, but John beat Peter to the tomb. But, but he stayed outside of the tomb. And then and what happens is Peter just went straight into the tomb. Although he was second in last place, he went straight into the tomb. And so then they both realized that Jesus was not there. And both Peter and John didn't understand what was going on. Like, what do you mean his body's not there? Like, what's going on? The scripture tells us, Mark tells us that they did not understand what had happened, and they went home. So they went home, and here's what, where we pick up the text here today. I'm going to read the text and its entirety. Verse 11, it says this. Outside the tomb, wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said, to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let us pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that they are infallible, your word of truth, the ultimate standard of truth. They are bread to us, to our spiritual soul. And I pray today that you would nourish us through your word, that you would encourage us today, that you would comfort us today, that you would give hope where hope is needed, that you would restore our faith where restoration is needed. God, lead us in our time together today. In your name we pray, amen and amen. You see, during the holiday season, especially during the Christmas season, because, I mean, we all kind of know that Christmas and Easter are kind of big Sundays, right, in the church world and in religion. And so Christmas and Easter are kind of those big Sundays. And there's a lot of talk about gifts during Christmas, right? Like, there's, I mean, we, we talk about the the, the gifts of Jesus coming to earth, right? Like Emmanuel, God with us. And so there's a lot of talk about gifts uh, during that time of the year, during the Christmas Eve and holiday season. But have you ever wondered, what are the gifts of the grave? Like what kind of gifts does the grave produce? Like what are the gifts of Easter? Have you ever thought about what the gifts of Easter are because there are plenty. But I'll tell you this, though. I'll tell you one, one thing that is not a gift of Easter, and that is peeps. Peeps are not a gift of Easter, okay? Anybody love peeps? Anybody love peeps? Okay. There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness for you. There's forgiveness. I, I do not like peeps at all. But that is, you know, we always kind of talk about those types of things during that season, but there are beautiful and wonderful gifts during the Easter season. There are beautiful and wonderful gifts because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today, I kind of want to give you my big idea at the front. Normally, I give it in the back, but I just really want you to understand where I'm headed today. And here's the big idea if you're taking notes today, that the empty grave produced the greatest gifts, that the empty grave produced the greatest Gifts. We're going to see in just a few minutes the greatest gifts ever produced. And they were produced and given freely to you and I because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is my goal today, to present to you and lay before you these beautiful, wonderful, powerful gifts that are available to us through the power of the resurrection. And there are three gifts in this story that I want us to be aware of. The first gift is this, the gift of immediacy. The gift of immediacy. Let me kind of read verses 11 and 13 kind of to understand you where I, to understand, help you understand where I'm getting this from. This is what verse 11 through 13 says. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. That's important. Take note of that. Sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The gift 
of immediacy. Now, let me explain what that means, okay? And let me explain where I'm getting this from. The gift of immediacy is the fact that we have immediate access to God the Father because of the resurrection. I mean, we have immediate access to, G- to, to God the Father because of the resurrection. Now, let me, under- let me help you understand where I kind of got this from. First, if you look at this passage in verse 12, uh, Mark tells us that Mary, that Mary saw two, two angels when she went into the tomb. So she stoops and she looks into the tomb and she sees two angels. And, and I mean, she doesn't appear shocked at all. Like, I don't know about you, but if I saw two angels, I would have been extremely, extremely shocked. I mean, I've only seen one angel before. I've only had one encounter with an angel before, and that's when I saw my wife, Christina. But that's about, that's about it. That's the only angel I've ever seen. But, but why doesn't Mary get disturbed when seeing these two angels? Another account in, in Luke, in St. Luke, he tells us that these angels actually took human form. That's why she wasn't like all freaked out or worried because these angels, like many times they do, they take on human form. Now, here is where I get the point from. Notice where the angels are sitting. Notice where the angels are sitting. It says that one is at the head and one is at the feet and Jesus' linens are laying there in the middle. Now, I'm going to get a little geeky here for just a second. But if you have studied the Old Testament, all of these imageries start popping up in your head. It is so connected to the Old Testament. You see, because in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 25, God commands Moses to build a tabernacle, basically a portable tent, you know, a portable tent. That's what it was, a tabernacle. And this tabernacle was God's way of dwelling among the people of Israel, that his presence was in the tabernacle. That's how he uh, dwelled with them and, and lived among them. And as they moved from place to place, they would do set up and tear down of this tabernacle, very similar to what we do here. Now, in this tabernacle, uh, there is two places. There is the holy place, which is the front part of the tabernacle. And then there is the most holy place, separated by this curtain. Now, in the most holy place, there is this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box, and it was overlaid with gold. And then the Ark of the Covenant was where the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses' tablets were Store, okay? You tracking with me? I'm getting somewhere. You're like, I, this guy lost me already. Just, just stick with me. I'm going somewhere, I promise. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there was this, this slab of gold that covered this wooden chest. And that was called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, um, there was also two cherub. Okay, you're like, what is a cherub? Okay, two cherub. A cherub is an angelic angel, an angelic winged creature at both ends of the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, see where I'm going? See where I'm going? So there's these two golden cherub on the Ark of the Covenant. Then the priest, the high priest, would then sacrifice an animal and sprinkle blood on this mercy seat, right, to pay the, 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 the sins for the sins of the people. 
In other words, people in the Old Testament would relate to God through a priest and through a temple. But now, fast forward to Jesus' resurrection. There are two angels, and there's no body. And because of that, because of the resurrection, Jesus has a new mercy seat. There is a new mercy seat. There is a new way to relate to God. You no longer have to go through a priest. You no longer have to, you know, sacrifice an animal. Jesus once spoke to people through these, these, two, uh, these two angel uh, creatures. And Jesus said, there's a new mercy seat, a new mercy. Let me, let me actually read you Exodus 25, 19 through 22. It says, make one cherub on one end and another cherub on the other end. One piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. I love this part in verse 22. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. I just love that verse. It says, there I will meet with you. There I will speak with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, because of the resurrection, I will speak to you. You have direct and immediate access to me. No longer do I have to meet with you in a tabernacle, but now I meet you in an empty tomb. It's immediate access to God because of the resurrection. When I was in Chicago about four years ago, um, we went to Six Flags. It was me, uh, my wife, Christina, and my brother. And we went, we went during the winter, and it was the worst idea ever. It was super, super cold. And I, I kind of remember uh, just standing in line, and these lines were super, super long, and we were freezing. And so my brother had this awesome idea to get out of line and go get a fast pass. Uh, and so that's what we did. We, we, we got out of line. We went to go get a fast pass. And I'm like, man, I hope this thing is worth it. It's a little pricey. And they, they give you a watch. I don't know if you've ever done the fast pass thing. But that was my first time ever getting a fast pass. And so you had a watch, and it kind of, you know, told you when you could go to the line. There was no line. So we got this fast pass, uh, and we went back to the same ride that we kind of got out of line from. And when we got there, we beat the people that were uh, in front of us as we were waiting. And I can't really remember for sure or not. I might have flashed my fast pass and smiled at them. I don't remember. I might have done it. I don't know. But man, it was a fast, we, there was no waiting in line at all. It was, it, was, it was no wait. It was the best thing ever. I mean, it's a game changer. And so if you ever uh, go somewhere, get a fast pass. But we have a fast pass to God. We have a fast pass to God. Immediate access. No waiting in line at all. It's a fast pass to God. You have immediate access to him. I love Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You can approach God not only immediately but confidently, confidently that he is not there wagging his finger at you, trying to condemn you, but to comfort you and to care for you. We have that gift of immediate access 
to God. You have an immediate access to God when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're driving, when you're at home. You have immediate access to the Father when you feel broken inside, when you're stressed, when you feel lonely, when you feel anxious and don't know what to do. You have immediate access to the presence of God because of the resurrection. You have immediate access to God when you feel fearful, when you're losing hope, when you feel lost, when you're in sorrow and pain and grief. Let me remind you of this amazing and wonderful gift that you don't have to wait in line, that you can speak directly with God because of the resurrection. Gift number two is this. It's a gift of intimacy, the gift of intimacy. Verse 14 says this, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Because of the resurrection, we have this gift of intimacy with Christ, an intimate, thriving, real relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. Notice this here, church. That Mary did not know who Jesus was. She actually thought he was the gardener. But here's the thing. She didn't know who he was. And a lot of the times that was very common after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus had a lot of different encounters with people post-resurrection. And a lot of people did not know that it was him. And so he had to reveal himself to people. And most likely, the reason why that people didn't know that it was Jesus was because he had a resurrected, glorified body. A resurrected, glorified body. And those who are in Christ will one day, at the end of time, receive a resurrected, glorified body. A body with no more aging, no more decay, a perfect body. No more Botox and no more wrinkles, church. Come on, I mean, come on. No more Botox. You guys ready for that? You excited for that, right? No more gray hair. It's a perfect, glorified body. Man, you're finally going to be able to have your six-pack, finally, after all of these years. I know you get so envious of that movie 300. I know I do, at least. Perfect body. And so they didn't realize it was him. He still had a lot of the same features, but he, had, he was different. He had a glorified body. And so Mary did not know who Jesus was. But here's the thing. Jesus knew who Mary was, and he called her by name. He said, Mary. He called Mary by name. It reminds me of this passage earlier in the book of John where he calls his sheep. I love it. It says this, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When, we, when he was brought out of all his town, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Mary knew Jesus' voice. 
That's all Jesus had to say was Mary. He called her name. Then what happens next is very interesting. Mary clings on to Jesus. I mean, when, when she realizes that it's Jesus and he's no longer dead but alive, she clings on to him, holding him tight. She, she clung on to him for the fear of losing him. She clung on to Jesus because she loved him. Why? Why did Mary cling on to Jesus so much? Why did she do that? If you've read the scriptures in the book of Luke chapter 11, Jesus delivers Mary from seven demons. He delivers her. He has, she has an encounter with Jesus that, 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 that just transformed her life. She would never be the same. So she's had previous encounters with Christ. He's delivered her from the things that were tormenting her soul, her mind, and her body. And so she followed, from that day forward, she followed Jesus with great passion and great devotion. She was the first one at the tomb. When, when, when everyone abandoned Christ and he was hanging there on the cross, who was there? Mary. A passionate devotion for what Jesus did for her. Now, the question is, why would Jesus then tell Mary not to cling on to him? I mean, it's kind of, it seems kind of mean of Jesus, right? Like Mary's clinging on to him, hugging him, and Jesus is like, hey, don't cling on to me. It's kind of like a stiff arm, like Jesus stiff arms Mary. Why, why, why would you cling on to me, Jesus says? Don't cling on to me. Why did he do that? The reason why was because Jesus, after the resurrection, has started his journey back to the Father, his ascension. Now he was getting ready to go back to the Father. And in a kind of weird way, this is what Jesus was saying to Mary. Mary, I want to be closer to you. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. But in order for me to do that, Mary, I have to leave. I have to leave. I have to go back to the Father. So because Jesus was raised from the dead, he could now ascend back to the Father and send his spirit down to earth to live in every single believer. Why? To have an intimate relationship with us. The gift of intimacy and the gift of having an intimate relationship with Jesus would not be possible if Jesus was still in the tomb. It is the gift of intimacy. John, John tells us about this in verse six, chapter 16. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, that I ascend to the Father. For if I do not go away, the helpers, the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He sends us the Spirit. The resurrection makes it possible to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And I just got to remind you today, church, guest, that Jesus wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants to love you, and he wants to care for you. He wants to guide you and protect you and lead you and provide for you. He doesn't want a shallow, superficial, only come to me when you want or need something from me type of relationship. 
He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. There's a very big difference between knowing about and actually knowing a person. Would, would you agree? Like when I first started kind of going after Christina, I knew things about her. I, I kind of got online on this thing called uh, MySpace. I don't know if you remember MySpace, right? You remember that? Uh, some, some of you uh, millennials, younger millennials might not know, but it's kind of like Facebook, and you had your top eight. Anyway, just search it. But, but I remember getting on MySpace and trying to find out who Christina was. And what's the first thing you, you kind of did when you like, looked up on someone's MySpace? You went to the top eight, right? Like, who's on her top eight? I want to know who's that number one spot. Who's that dude? Obviously, he was nobody because he's not here today. But anyway, right? But, but I started kind of doing my research and stuff, and I knew things about her. Like, I knew things about her with my mind. But I really didn't know her. It wasn't until she pursued me, like, hard, man. Like, she, she pursued me. She was practically begging me to be with me. But anyway, when we started dating, we got engaged, and we got married. And our intimacy has grown. Now I, now I just not know things about her. I actually know her with my heart. There's a difference between knowing Jesus only with your mind and knowing Jesus with your heart. A very big difference. And Jesus wants to know you. He wants to know you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just remind you that to know Jesus, to know him with our hearts, is to have life. It's to have joy. It's to have hope. It's to have peace, not just, know, like not just know about God and know that he is love and know that he gives grace and, and know that he forgives. No, but to actually experience it. It's one thing to know about something, and that's, it's another thing to actually experience the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the hope of God, the forgiveness of God. That's the gift of Intimacy. Jesus indwells us with the power of the Holy Spirit. He creates intimacy with us. Lastly, the gift of inclusivity. The gift of inclusivity. Verse 17. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord that he had said these things to her. Did you notice what Jesus calls his disciples? Brothers. Brothers. This is the only time that Jesus calls his disciples brothers in the entire gospel of John. The only time. It's a term of personal relationship. It's a term of endearment. And so he tells Mary, go and tell my brothers that I am ascending back to my father, back to my God of inclusivity, that you and I are included in the family of God. We are brothers with Christ, and we have a father who loves us and cares about us. We were once spiritual orphans, but Christ died on the cross to pay for our sin, 
was resurrected to life so that we can become children of God. We were adopted into the family of God, the gift of inclusivity. I remember when I was in in high school or college, like during that time, uh, my family was a, a foster home. We would take care of many, many foster kids uh, you know, uh, throughout the, the few years that we were doing it. We had about maybe 25 through 30 kids coming through our house. And I remember one time my mom got a call. Uh, it was probably in the evening, and she said, hey, we, we need an immediate placement. Uh, we, we, we have this, this child. He's, he's, a, he's maybe like six, seven months years old, and the mom has just left him in the car seat. And she never takes him out, and we just need a house for this, this kid. And so my mom and I went over, met, met this, per, this, this, this uh, social worker at a, at a gas station. I remember picking up this, this little baby, and he was super stiff, and he wouldn't even lean in on you or anything. And, and man, it, my heart was just broken. And so he stayed with us for a pretty, pretty long time to the point where we were even thinking about adopting th- this, this, this baby. I mean, we, we loved him and cared for him and provided for him. And, man, we just absolutely loved that little guy. Uh, the, the really cool story, though, is that his parents cleaned uh, clean back up, and, and he was able to go back home, which is the hope, right, to, to bring restoration to that family. But during that time, like, we, I treated him like my little brother. I loved that little baby. Now, his name was Drake, and so Drake didn't do anything to end up at our house. He didn't. Drake couldn't do anything to end up in our family. Drake couldn't really do anything for us uh, to make us provide for him. He didn't do absolutely anything to end up in our house to be cared for. And church, we didn't do anything to become adopted into the family of God. We bring nothing. Christ brings everything. We were adopted. We didn't bring anything. We couldn't do anything of our own strength to become children of God. But he calls us, he draws us in. You are a child of God. You are included in the family of God. You have a father who loves and cares about you. You see, we weren't always children of God. The scriptures are clear that we were once actually enemies of God. Romans chapter 5 says this, For if... While we were enemies, we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were once enemies of God. But Romans chapter 8 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We were once foes of God. Now we're family because of his death and resurrection. And so, church, I just want to remind you today that you have the amazing gift of inclusivity, of being in a family where the God who loves you and cares for you and provides for you and who protects you and who leads you and guides you. Despite what kind of earthly relationship you've had with the Father, with an earthly father, man, your heavenly father doesn't fail. 
Your heavenly father is faithful. Your heavenly father loves you unconditional. It's a gift of inclusivity. Amazing gifts of the resurrection. Amazing gifts of Easter. The gift of immediacy. The gift of intimacy. And the gift of inclusivity. And I want to say this. I could end the sermon there. And I would, I would feel that you would leave encouraged. Man, these, these gifts are available to me. That's amazing. The gifts of the resurrection. I think you would leave encouraged that those gifts are available to you. I could end there. But if I end there, I would be doing you a disservice. I really would. If I end here, I wouldn't be fulfilling my ultimate calling to preach the full gospel. I want to say this in closing. You see, these gifts that are available to us, they're free. They're free, but they weren't cheap. And say that again. These gifts that were available to you and I and that are available to you and I, they're free. We don't have to work for them. We don't have to do anything. They're absolutely free. We don't have to earn God's favor. We don't have to be a better person. We don't have to get our stuff all together. We don't have to work out our salvation. They're free. A gift is free. You don't have to muster enough works to get into heaven, to be right with God. Salvation is free. All of these gifts are absolutely free. But they weren't cheap. They were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. They weren't cheap. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid for these gifts. On the cross, his blood was shed for you and I so that we could have direct access to the Father so that we can have the Holy Spirit in us to have intimacy with him, so that we can be children of God. They weren't free, or they're free, but they weren't cheap. Now the big question, and this is the most important part of the sermon. How do we receive these gifts? Like, how do we receive these gifts? Because they're wonderful, aren't they? But not everybody receives these gifts. How do we receive these amazing, beautiful gifts? We have to admit, we have to admit that we've blown it, that we have sinned. It's called repentance. Oh, how dare you talk about repentance on Easter, man? People are not going to come back. Jesus talked about repentance. He said, repent and believe and you'll have eternal life. That's how you receive these gifts. You repent. To repent means to turn the other way, away from sin and towards Christ. That's what repent means. You got to believe. Place your faith in Christ. Place your faith in the work that Christ did on the cross and on the resurrection that he paid for us, that we couldn't pay it on our own, that he paid for our sin, placing your faith in him. Number three, you got to commit. 
Commit to pursuing Christ. Commit to pursuing him. Admit, believe, and commit. Commit to pursuing Jesus and loving him, obeying him, following hard after him, pursuing him in prayer and in scriptures, attending a a church that preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, I encourage you, don't wait another year to come to church. Make it a commitment. Make it a priority in your life. The Restoration Church. We the Restoration Church. We'd love to have you if you want to stay. Find a church. Find a church. Pursue Christ. Find a community where you can belong. Pursue after Jesus. You see, because the resurrection, it's not about the Easter bunny. The resurrection is not about eggs. The resurrection is not even about coming to church service, going to someone's house and having a family get together. That's not what the resurrection is all about. Those things are good things, and I'm going to do that. But the resurrection is about Jesus Christ conquering sin and death, leaving the empty tomb, and asking us, hey, are you coming with me? That's what the resurrection is about. Hey, are you coming after me? Are you exiting your empty tomb to come after me? To find life, forgiveness, and hope, and freedom. How will you respond today? The resurrection demands a response. It's not simply just an event that happened way ago and it doesn't really have any impact in our lives today. No. The resurrection demands a response. How will you respond today? The most important part of the sermon. Will you receive these gifts or will you reject them? That's up to you. That's on you. Will you receive eternal salvation? Hope beyond the grave? Hope here and now? What are you going to do? What will you do? And let me kind of give you a warning for a second. All good gifts come with warnings, right? Like if you get a gift now, like they come with a warning because people do dumb things. Let me give you a warning. If you're part of our church, you heard me say this And I'll never get tired of saying it. The most heartbreaking thing for me is people who have a false sense of assurance of salvation. Who believe they've received these gifts but truly haven't. There's a passage in the Gospel of of Matthew where Jesus is preaching and he says, and he, he gets approached by people and they say, hey, didn't, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all of these works in your name? And Jesus says, honestly, depart from me. I never knew you. Hey, didn't we have a bumper sticker that had a Bible verse on it? Hey, didn't we come to church once in a while? Hey, hey didn't we post these cool quotes on Instagram? I never knew you. Here's what I'm saying. James says, St. James chapter 2, he says, So also 
faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Here's what he's saying. There's no evidence in your life that you've had a transformation. And you got to check your heart. You got to check to see if you've really received these gifts. If you really have eternal life. Look at Mary. She was oppressed by demons. She had an encounter with Jesus. It transformed her life. I always run into people from school, from high school once in a while. Teachers, peers. Hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. You're a what? I'm a pastor. When I met Christ at 18, he transformed my life. There evidence that you have been transformed by Jesus. See, because we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. It is always accompanied with works. We are saved by faith, but works, the way we live, the evidence shows that we are truly saved. Will you receive or reject? That's on you. It's not on me. And what better way to end Easter today by taking in, by partaking communion, to remember the death and the resurrection of Christ symbolically through communion. That Jesus lived a perfect life, the life that you and I, we couldn't live. He was sinless. He was perfect. And he died the death that you and I deserve. Jesus on that cross bore the wrath of the Father that was intended for us. He bore it on himself. He became our substitute. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And he is coming back one day for his church. He is coming back one day for those who receive the gift. In all reality, Jesus is the gift. Amen. He is the true gift. And he's coming back. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.